when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got off the plane? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. It's time for Carolina football. So get the fuck out of your seats. Spurs up. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who's nursing a hangover. What are you up to, <laughs> you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy. What's going on? Sorry. <laughs> Little hair of the dog here. <laughs> How you doing, brother? Sounds like that last podcast gotcha. People thought I was joking when I said you were pounding them beers on the show. Oh, buddy. Yeah, we had a little we had a little pregame party too, you know. So by the time this thing got going, I was well oiled up. I a lot of people are asking me if I remember what I said on the pod, so I hope I didn't offend anybody. Uh, but I, I didn't get any angry text or tweets, so that's good. Uh, how are you doing today, brother? <laughs> hey, I was doing pretty good until uh, Tennessee gave us another reason to drink because, oh man, when you're trying to get over one, the news you don't want to get is your team bowing out of a bowl game, if you want to call it yeah. that. Tennessee, that's a big news. Let's just start right there. The Vols are back in mm-hmm. quarantine because Tennessee is not going to play the Liberty Bowl against West Virginia. They just announced that right before we hopped on the pod. But uh, they're out. Pruitt's got the COVID. They're saying 20 to 30 players got the COVID. Thoughts on Tennessee not playing in the bowl? Well, uh, be honest, man. Kind of sounds like bullshit. If if I'm being 100% honest, you know what I'm saying? It feels like that there's something else going on here. Of course, I'm in I'm in conspiracy mode right now. Mm-hmm. You know, everything everything has a reason, everything has a purpose. So I don't know. It, it may be. I mean, think about this, Mike. If you were going to fire Pruitt right here at the holidays, you know what I'm saying? It's like we don't need to be dealing with the bowl game and stuff. Let these kids go home because uh, some of them, their worlds are about to get rocked. So mm-hmm. the conspiracy side of me thinks that this kind of p- plays in favor of a coach change or a coaching uh, job vacancy popping up here pretty quick. Now, let me, um, you know, I'm not saying you're wrong here, but uh, let me take the other side. What happened, you know, over a week ago, 10 days around Tennessee won their first game in two months. Mm-hmm. Any chance that, uh, you know, they got back from Nashville, got back from beating up on Vanderbilt. Uh, 
I would say it's uh, likely that they went out and, you know, broke protocol and celebrated and they said, well, we only got one week left. <laughs> Let's just go have a good time. I think that could have certainly happened because Tennessee has been tested twice from what I understand on Sunday mm-hmm. and on Monday. And all these uh, positives um, have, have shown twice essentially. So no, not false positives, but I see what you're saying. You don't want to be on national television. You know, how many times are I going to be saying, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's on the hot seat. Yeah. Jeremy Pruitt, they're under investigation. So, in a sense, it I see where you're you're going with that, but uh, I guess I'm I'm just not ready to go that deep into the conspiracy just yet. Yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, this is important. Every every coach you ever talk to about the S, in the SEC, um, you know, they 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 talk about these bowl games as an extra spring practice. So for a team like Tennessee, who I think could really benefit, especially now that we've moved on from the the Tano phase and we're we're you know we're we're seeing a glimpse of the future, I I saw it as an excellent opportunity to let some of these young kids play, and even more in a bowl game situation, if you do got players that that can't play, you've got young talent on that roster that can that can field. So I I just don't know what the numbers are, and it's. You know, it's always you get in trouble speculating, but it just seems like could they have fielded a team by the thirty? Was it thirty first? What is today? It's what ten days from now. You know what I'm saying? Right. Seems seems like this is a, a little. I don't know. I don't know. Just the more I think about it, the the, the shadier it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Mel Gibson, man. You know, I'm putting bottles on my doorknobs now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, we had some other big news in the SEC. Let's uh, jump on down to the Plains real quick. War damn eagle. Because, uh, you know, first reported by Shannon Terry, the guy that started Rivals, or I don't know if he started Rivals, but he took it over and and made it what it is today, and then he's turned around and created uh, 24-7 sports. He announced that uh, Billy Napier... Turned down Auburn, and then about an hour later, about everybody and their mother was reporting that as well. So, and Napier's put out a statement, you know, staying at Louisiana and all this. But mm-hmm. how wild is this thing, Shane? Where, and I don't know if you've been keeping up with it, but uh, I've seen plenty of it where you got current Auburn players, former Auburn players, you know, they're basically trolling the program saying, you know, this is a damn circus. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. this is what happens when you fire a guy like Gus. You don't, you didn't know how good you had it. And, you know, I know it seemed like damn near every other week we were talking about how hot Gus Malzahn's seat was, depending on if he won or lost a football game. But is there any chance we look back and, you know, I'm not saying Gus was the perfect coach, but never had a losing season in eight years, took a team to national championship, won it as an assistant, uh, the only one that uh, multiple wins against Saban, never on probation or anything like that. Any chance we look back at this and say, you know, that could have been a big mistake there. Well, right now you're spiraling, buddy. I mean, this I, I've seen this this movie before. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I've seen it play out. Now, obviously, we didn't have a coach here at Tennessee that that beat Nick Saban, but every time I'm seeing a tweet fire off from a ex-Auburn player. I'm, I'm just thinking that, you know, that song, 
put your little hand on mine. There ain't no, and then he crushes that clock, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, this is Groundhog's Day, man. You know, it's just, here's, here's what it feels like, Mike. It feels like Auburn, this was, this was a shady situation, man. It almost felt like that this was Coach Steele's gig. Like this, like everything was lined up, but they didn't factor X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then. Once you get rid of Gus, then the dominoes start falling and, and the plan doesn't come together like you expected. So I feel like Auburn had a guy lined up, but now we're just grabbing at straws and nobody wants to go there because it's just, I mean, think about that for a second. Napier turned down the University of Auburn. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Just think, just, just think about that for a second. It's just, that's, that blows my mind. So I don't know if it's a toxic environment right now, but it's just, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like these coaches are going to want some more money and guaranteed because here you got rid of, like you said, in, in all aspects, a successful coach, a coach that had no problem getting you to bowl games, a coach that, that had beat Nick Saban, you know what I'm saying? Several times the bar is set pretty damn high down there in Auburn and the expectations. So I'm, I'm fully expecting these coaches that are maybe thinking about fielding an interview for this gig. They, they, they know that their agents know that and they need guaranteed money. And that's just something they're not, I don't know if the university is willing to do because there's a lot of money tied up with this Gus Malzahn fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I don't know the exact inner workings down there at Auburn. It sounds like a, a weird situation where, you know, I think I said it even on this show. It, I don't think the AD made the decision. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's making the hire, as strange as it sounds, but Auburn's a unique place. And I know at many of these SEC schools, uh, there's people behind the scenes that are making the decisions. But basically, from what I've gathered, it sounds like this has kind of been in the works for a while. And they, you know, they were ready to move on from Gus. I think basically ever since he's landed that mega deal and turned around and Mm -hmm. lost to UCF. I mean, it's, I guess, you know, it started all the way back then. And the plan has always been to promote Kevin Steele from within. And I think that's probably what would have happened if not for all these fans, you know, complaining and they started a damn campaign, stop Steele. And, you know, I've said it on here. I think Kevin Steele, I think he'd be a lot better option than people realize, but it's not my program, you know, so it's, it's their place to say that. But here we are. We we made it at some point. We're going to get down the list here. If Billy Napier saying no to you, you may have to go mm-hmm. with the Kevin Steele because it doesn't sound like Sarkeesian is interested. It doesn't sound like any of the Clemson corners, coordinators are interested. And it doesn't sound like Auburn's interested in Hugh Freeze. So, Mm-mm. I mean, that's this may be part of it as well. They may be interviewing guys and then kind of, you know, not – willing to commit to them or not give them what they want so that they turn around and turn it, turn the job down so that they can hand it to Kevin Steele. So that may be out there. And and the only other name that I'm, that is going around is the, the UAB coach and uh, Bill Clark is his name. I don't know much about him, but I know he's, he's an outstanding coach and UAB has been very successful, but you know, it's obviously a different animal in the SEC. So mm-hmm. I don't think that would be a terrible hire either. I just don't know a ton about him. But I do know he resurrected that program, and I believe they've won three Conference USA titles in four years since coming out of uh, 
not not even being in existence. So, guy's got to be a pretty good coach. Yeah, Mike, but, you know, it, it's like me taking one of my daughters, instead of going to one of these fancy stores that they like to shop at, mm-hmm. convincing them that, hey, we can get a better deal at goodies, you know, <laughs> and we walk in there and they look at me and they're like, Dad, are you crazy? <laughs> I'm not wearing, you know what I'm saying? Nothing against goodies. That's what I grew up on, but I'm saying, yeah, Auburn's got a, Auburn's got a, I don't know. They 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 got high expectations because you're you're looking at a program that has beat teams like Alabama recently, you know. So you, you, you that's a tough t- that's a tough pill to swallow when you start saying, okay, well, let's talk about how successful this guy is down at UAB, and I don't even know who he is, mm-hmm. you know. Right. So I mean, a lot of people don't know who was it, Bill Clark? Yes, sir. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. I don't even sound like his real name. It sounds like a <laughs> fake name that he gave us. You know what I'm saying? That's a fake name on the resume. Somebody needs to do a background check on this fellow because I don't know if that's his real name. Uh, but that's that's the only thing, man, is, is I don't know him. And, and the fact that I don't know him doesn't give me the – I don't know. I, I'm, just a, I'm just a common fan, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to act like – I'm not an insider or anything like that. I'm sure there's a lot of people on this podcast like, how the hell do you not know Bill Clark is, you know? But I'm saying <laughs> the fact that Joe Schmo here in Tennessee doesn't know who this guy is doesn't make it a sexy hire. Not that, I mean, think about a recruit, you know what I'm saying? A recruit in the in the country here that's just sitting there playing football, doing his thing, he's starting to fill the offers and say, hey, Bill Clark's on the phone. They're like, who the hell is Bill Clark, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Lane Kiffin's on the phone. Oh, I know who that is. Nick Saban's on the phone. Okay, Bill Clark. Bill Clark, does he work down there at Home Depot? I don't know. You know, I don't. so just keep that in mind. I, Auburn wants a sexy hire. They've had Gus Mal's on. You know, they want they want somebody that is a proven winner. Mm-hmm. So well, that's just l- my. Let thought. me share you a little nugget with you, Shane, and give you a little excitement, a little hope potentially. This comes from a very reliable source. Mm-hmm. He's broken some SEC news to me before. And according to him, Billy Napier, you want to, the reason he turned down Auburn, he's got another team on his mind, Shane. Can you guess who that is? Don't don't do this to me, Mike. Don't do it. Apparently, I'm, I'm not. Apparently, he's waiting it out for the Tennessee Vols to open to open oh, up. Here we go. And I don't know. Again, this is. Um, I don't know if I'd make that decision. I don't know. Auburn, I think he could certainly argue a better job than Tennessee, but it's outside of the state of Alabama. That's probably <laughs> beneficial. Mm. I mean, you still got to play Nick Saban in Alabama every year, just in a different division. Uh, very, you know, they're both uniquely difficult jobs. But yeah, that's what I've heard, and we'll see, man. If if uh, if and when Tennessee opens risky, up, man. I think Billy Napier would be a name to watch. I mean, think about how risky that is. Just Turning down an SEC gig, a, a good job, and for something that may or may not happen, unless mm-hmm. it has already happened. You know what I'm saying? Right. Well, I also think not. I think it goes back to what I was saying. Now, again, th- now this part of it, again, I cannot confirm, but I don't think Auburn is willing to accept Billy Napier's terms. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they went after him, and they probably, and I'm not saying money, I'm saying like, you know, he probably wanted to hire his, his own staff and he probably wanted, you know, total oversight of, uh, you know, f- maybe facilities and, and all kinds of, you know, there's so many things that go into being a head coach. And this is Billy Napier's one 
shot at, at the big leagues. You know what I mean? He's right. He's been at Louisiana three years. He's won the division three times. And his team, mm-hmm. I, I think they're top 20 right now. I mean, he's got a good thing going there at Louisiana. He spent time working for Nick Saban. He spent time working for Dabo. He spent time at Arizona State. So he knows, you know, how these Power 5 teams need to be ran. And I think he's mm-hmm. wanting to do it his way. And I would say that played probably a part in him turning down Auburn. And, and I mm-hmm. think he can be choosy, man, because he turned down Mississippi State before. He got interviews at South Carolina. I will never say he turned down the South Carolina job. I've, <laughs> we've seen people make that <laughs> mistake. So, but, yeah. but the fact that these SEC schools are interested in him, I think that – that goes to show I think he's a big-time rising candidate. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I will see, man. This is going to be one of those we're going to have to let marinate a while. I think I, I think there's a reason he turned this job down, and I don't I, – I, I mean, I'd love to speculate that it's over Tennessee, but, um, again, it may not be. There may be, you know, just maybe, like you said, the, the contracts that they're writing, because the contracts are getting – they're different, man. You think about the last coaches hired. You know, I mean, these like Lane Kiffin, you think of the pirate, you think of uh, Sam down there and Eli, Sam, you know, Sam's on a, one of those, it's just like the the university's got a safety net in case something happens, you know, and you get some of these, these coaches, they, they don't want to, to look out for the program. They want to look out for their best interest. So in three, four years down the road, because you got to turn around quick, Mike. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we are talking about Pruitt. If he didn't get it done in year three, he's out. So. Uh, the neck that makes it tougher for your next tire. So uh, I just whoever's getting him, you know, they're going to have to open up the 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 purse for him. You know. Hey Shane, so let's move on. I've got uh, you know I think a little fun idea. We can hit on a lot of SEC teams here real quick. Real, real quick before you go there, I just want to let you know that Dick Clark is not related to him. <laughs> I was googling that. So. <laughs> <laughs> You remember him, American? I oh watch yeah, the bandstand. But I sometimes you get it like real late, you know. And you turn on the radio and like the DJ's done cut off. It's now national radio, and there's Dick Clark giving you the top twenty-five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm All right, moving on, Shane. If you remember, in the middle of the year, I did an All SEC midseason team, mm-hmm. and I figured I'd do this again before they announce the selections. Because this is coming probably uh, probably tomorrow or Wednesday, they'll announce okay. the All SEC, you know, Players of the Year, and I even got some award winners, buddy. So how's that sound? Let's do it. And of course, this is my list. So if you get mad at me, tag Big Orange Vols, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shane will critique it. All right, let's get let's get to it, Shane. I picked quarterbacks of the year. I picked two of them: Mac Jones, Alabama; Kyle Trask. Florida, these guys combined for 75 touchdowns, nine interceptions. I think those are those got to be the two obvious candidates, don't you think? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, my, I, is it that order? Is that your order? Uh, I mean, you could really flip the order. I mean, Kyle Trask, like a one A one B. Yeah, he's been so good. Mac Jones also has been dominant, mm-hmm. uh, but. Maybe if you want to look at it this way, if you take one of these guys off their team, which one's you know which team drops the furthest? If you did it that way, I'd say Kyle Trask probably a little bit more important. Okay, all right, I dig it, man. No, I think that's that's easy. You got honorable mentions like who would be your 
2A, 2B? Uh, I don't have that prepared, but I'd probably say Matt, okay. Matt Corral, even though he had two, you know, turnover type games. Yeah. And then uh, how about this for a wild card shade? Felipe Franks. I think he had a hell of a season. Okay. All right. I dig it. Kill him on, maybe. I'd give him that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, you know. that's a good one. All right, running backs, Shane. This I went uh, went a little bit deeper on this because we all know you can carry more running backs on your football team. I got mm-hmm. Kevin Harris from South Carolina. He led the SEC 1,262 rushing yards. Yeah. Najee Harris had 24 touchdowns. You got to include him. Larry Roundtree, Missouri, 14 touchdowns. He was just the machine for Missouri. Mm-hmm. And this was tough, Shane. I had to leave a couple guys off. Isaiah Spiller, Texas A&M. That's my four. And what are your thoughts on that? I'm trying to think, man. I I, I think it's tough to argue with those four. Um, and I think that's a good order to have them in too. I mean, that, I'm trying to think. Uh, it's right offhand. No, I think I'm going to go with that list, brother. Okay. And- I mean, if, if if I will say this, if Tank would have stayed healthy. Definitely, he'd have been. I think he would have been in that list, but mm-hmm. you know, I think the injury bug kept him off, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and I, I didn't want to get to that just yet, but I got him on this list, so you, he'll be, he'll be okay. honored on this list. And uh, if you never filled out one of these SEC ballots, uh, which most people I assume listening have not done that, they also let you vote for like an all-purpose player. Mm-hmm. So I put another running back there. I put Anaya Smith from Texas A&M because they were kind of a one-two, and Smith was more the guy that could uh, split out and he'd play some receiver mm-hmm. and just so dynamic. So I found a way to get both those uh, Aggies on this list. Okay, I dig it. And then how? Okay, tight ends, Shade. I mean, this is easy too. Kyle Pitts, Florida. Jalen Wattemeyer, Texas A&M. I would have loved to see my guy Eric Gilbert, but he opted out. He he didn't quite get there mm-hmm. Kenny Yaboa considered but he also opted out so this list I definitely lean towards guys that didn't opt out so Kyle Pitts Jalen Wattemeyer Texas A&M those are my tight ends yeah easy easy peasy all right receivers Shane Devonta Smith another easy one Alabama Elijah Moore Ole Miss Seth Williams Auburn and one second one second I think Seth just pulled up hey Bruno what's the map hey and how about this? Uh, my favorite water bottle squirter, George Pickens, Georgia. Almost got left off this list, man. He had a, a hell of a second half of the season uh, and, and easily could have been one of the 1A, 1B situation, I think, if uh, if uh, we had old Daniels out there earlier. Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that was the key. You know, his numbers are not going to blow you off the, the page here, but it's because – they didn't have a quarterback capable of getting on the ball, and once they did, I mean, he was just dynamic, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, I will say this: Did you? Well, what about Tony? Hmm. I mean, yeah, that was that's a miss. Tony should be on this list. Kadarius Tony yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's that's the only other one I think. Maybe Shaw Smith. Mm-hmm. Those are the only other names probably going to uh, mention. That, like I said, Shaw Smith. I, I just. I mean, he was the heart and soul of South Carolina there for a minute. And uh, and if he would have continued the first half of the season throughout the season, I, I definitely think he's on the list. And then, obviously, Tony, because mm-hmm. he's just an absolute beast. All right, Chase. So, last time I left off offensive line, I got some guff. <laughs> so, I, I tried my best, man. I, I got an offensive line here for you. Okay. 
Okay, two guys from Alabama, Landon Dickerson and Alex Leatherwood. Tackle and center. I think that those are two candidates that uh, most people would, would go with. I wanted to show Kentucky some love. I went with Landon Young, offensive tackle. And then down at South Carolina, the guy that paved the way for Kevin Harris, Sedarius Hutchinson, gave him some love. And uh, last but not least, I had to get one of the Maroon Goons. I went with Carson Green, the tackle. That's my offensive line. Yes, I like it, man. Yeah, see, we show the love to the to the big guys. Yeah, the big boys get some love too. So you got offense and defense, or are you just doing offense? Oh, I got defense too, brother. Defense. Oh, DeMarvin Leal, Texas A&M. I mean, that guy, mm-hmm. he's finally hit his five-star potential. He looks like one of the most dominant players in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Kingsley Inigbare from South Carolina. He was one of the few highlights there for the Gamecocks. He, I believe he... He was the leader in SEC sacks. I think Will Will Anderson from Alabama passed him, but uh, he had a hell of a year. Here's one. Ollie Gay, Juco transfer for LSU. I mean, he was a machine this year. He, you know, LSU's defense was uh, struggling most of the year, but Ollie Gay didn't. He, from the, the week one to week uh, 13, I mean, he was outstanding. Yeah. So I gave him some love. And then Christian Barmore, Alabama, Defensive lineman. That's my that's my D line, and I'm man. I'm winning every game if I had these four. Definitely, brother. That's that's good, man. Some big old boys on that list. <laughs> all right, linebackers. Nick Bolton, Missouri had had yeah. to go him first of all, and I wanted to make a quick note on him. He announced he's not playing in the bowl game. He's going to the NFL. Nick Bolton, that is. Real real quick, man. Just Nick Bolton is. It's just it's rare that you have a linebacker that can completely take control of that side of the ball, and uh, that guy is going to absolutely feast in the NFL. Just a freaking stud, man. I know the Packers could sure could use him. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I hope he likes the Steelers. <laughs> well, okay, sorry. Next linebacker, I got Grant Morgan, Arkansas, led the SEC with 111 tackles. This is a guy that played with one damn arm, and he's still leading yeah. the league. Uh Henry Toa Toa, man, I thought, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit, you know, maybe a little low in the middle of the year, but the beginning and, and the end, I thought he was outstanding. And uh, I think any uh, casual fan, when you watch Tennessee, you always say, who's that number 11? Because he's always making plays. Absolutely. And then last linebacker here, Aziz Ojalari, Georgia. Again, he didn't put up crazy numbers either, but then I think that's just a product of Georgia having such a deep, defensive uh, roster, but mm-hmm. it seemed like whenever they needed a big play off the edge, a sack, it was Aziz Ojolari. So uh, it, there's not many, if, if a better pass rusher in the SEC, I don't, I don't know if there is one. No. All right. Safety Shane Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. He was outstanding and smoke Monday Auburn. I mean, these, both these guys plague Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> those are my safety killer names, man. I always love, I, you know, Smoke money. You knew that kid was going to be successful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're going around class, third grade, and you say, what's your name? Smoke. And I'm like, damn, he's going to the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> what's your name? He's like, Shane. <laughs> yeah, he's going to Golden Corral. <laughs> All right, ratted out the defense with the corners. I'm going uh, Roger McCreary for Auburn. He was uh, emerged as one of the better defensive players in the nation. And I know I'm not trying to disrespect uh, Patrick Sertan 
you know, he gets all the love at, at Alabama. But I thought Josh Job was a little bit better. So I went Josh Job. And uh, last but not least, Eric Stokes, Georgia. He made uh, so many big plays for the Bulldogs. But that's that's my defense. It's a good list, man. Good list. You got a kicker? A kicker and a punter ready for you, Shannon. I got oh. Cade York, the kicker from LSU. Okay. He went 18-21 on field goals and nailed all 36 of his PATs. And I basically gave him this award, or, or he won it, because of that 57-yarder he hit against Florida to win him the mm-hmm. game in the fog. And that's a that's a kick NFL kickers can't make. And then punter, I'm going Jake Camarda, Georgia. You know, there was there's a lot of good punters, believe it or not, in the SEC. But I think uh, Jake Camarda was the best this year. What about uh, Auburn? What's what's that, what's that kid? His brother plays. Yeah, he Carlson. Right? I didn't. I don't have his. Yeah, what was his numbers like? I mean, he was pretty Seems good. Like every time I was watching him, he was making them. He was making them. He's he. Let's give him runner up <laughs> status, Shane. Okay, all right. <laughs> I have no idea. We man. finally get to the kickers right. before Shane starts disagreeing. <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah, wait a minute. Now, I still get too carried away here. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, the last things I wanted to uh, I wanted to hand out some awards here, Shane. So, I think I asked you this on the last one, so I got to answer it now. Heisman Trophy vote from the SEC. I'm going Devonta Smith, Shane. I think. Most dominant player this season. I mean, just across the board, week in, week out. Uh, you know, got to give credit to all the players around him. I know he's surrounded with a lot of talent, and but this guy mm-hmm. didn't have the buzz of, you know, hardly anyone, uh, the rest of this team. It was almost like this guy was always the afterthought, but he stuck it mm-hmm. out. He came back to Alabama to develop, and now he looks like, you know, he reminds me of uh, is Jerry Rice. We're just – you know, he, he just never – you never expect him to be the game-breaker that he is, but he's just you know, deceptively fast and perfect at route running and does all the little things and just, just you know, next thing you know, you look up, he's got 200 yards receiving and three touchdowns, and he just does it week in yeah. and week out. You know what? Yeah, it's just complete game-changer. And this is one of those guys like last year, uh, old Jefferson there for – not Jefferson, but uh, – yeah, Justin Jefferson, LSU. Well, I mean, Jefferson was really good, but yeah, I guess you would you would say that, and just because he he would completely take over a game, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it, it felt like Devontae. I always felt going into the season. I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't that high on Devontae Smith. I just didn't think that. I thought he was good because other players around him were good, but you know, when when Waddle went down, it was. I expected him to struggle a little bit because now all the attention would be on him. But I'm telling you, the kid loved it, and he feasted on it. And that's what makes you a difference player in the NFL. So, absolute animal. Definitely deserving of the trophy if he gets it. Now, how about this, Shane? I mix it up a little bit. Offensive player of the year, sticking to that same team. But I'm going Najee Harris. And I know that's a little weird, but, you know, I think that's a little bit different than the Heisman Trophy. I think offensive player – of the year goes to, you know, the most uh, just dynamic player that it, that gets you in the end zone. And Najee Harris does it all. He could run over you. He could run around you. He catches balls. Mm-hmm. He, he blocks. He he just does it all. And he's another one that came to came back for his senior year to just dominate the SEC and try to win a national championship. And I think uh, I think he needs to be recognized as well. 
Yeah, and definitely one of those savings going to use as an example for the NFL draft, brother. Coming back was extremely beneficial for him. Mm-hmm. All right, defensive player of the year. I'm going, we already mentioned this guy, Nick Bolton. Anyone mm-hmm. else that you'd consider for defensive player of the year? No. Um, obviously, uh, Arkansas Cat, you know, in, in contention just because of what he meant to the team. But mm-hmm. uh, anybody that's watched uh, a Mizzou game and, and the impact that Nick's had on it, it's, it's a no-brainer pick here. All right, freshman of the year. I found a way to get this guy on the list, Shane. Tank Bigsby Auburn. <laughs> <laughs> Had to show him some love, but uh, there's been a lot of good freshmen in the SEC this year, but I can't think of one that's uh, been better than Tank Bigsby. Yeah, I think you're right, man. It has been a freshman. I mean, 2020 has been crazy with COVID and everything like that, but I don't know if just some of this young talent coming into the league is just better prepared or if it was a you know a shuffling thing. They just had to be ready, and you, you didn't have to worry about burning the red shirt, but there was a lot of freshmen, like you said, that stepped up this season. But it's tough to to compete with Tank because when he was in his element, when he was 100% healthy, uh, he he changed that that offense. And honestly, man, I'm telling you right now, if he would have stayed healthy, Gus would still be down there. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, last selection here, Shane. This is this is gonna be a little bit of a cop out, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick two here. Coach of the year. In the SEC, I'm giving it to Sam Pittman for the turnaround at Arkansas. But National Mm -hmm. Coach of the Year, I'm giving it to Nick Saban for, I think, the most dominant SEC season we've ever seen. Ten games, never really tested outside of, you know, the closing moments of the SEC championship. And the only other time you could possibly debate that is maybe the Ole Miss game, but... Hell, they couldn't stop Alabama. I, at no point did I think Ole Miss was going to win that game. So I don't think we'd. I, I just didn't think we'd ever see ten and zero in an SEC or hell eleven and zero now. <laughs> and uh, I think Nick Saban deserves to be recognized for what I think is the most impressive season ever from an SEC team. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I mean, I could argue Eli, and I'm sure you could plug in maybe even Lane in that in that situation, but. Um, I think you're right. I think you got to go with Sam uh, for coach of the year. And it's crazy with Nick. A lot of people are just going to just look at that and overlook it. But you're right. This is a very impressive season that Alabama's put together. And, and they're not done yet, man. But they've, they every time, every week, man, we've talked about it. this team is well prepared. They show up. They get the job done. And um, I, I don't expect that to change here in the next two games. All right, last thing I wanted to hit on, Shane. I teased it on the last episode. Didn't want to let the uh, the Commodore Nation down. Let's jump on down to Nashville. Take it down. Head coach Clark Lee. Now he's still doing his duties at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's still in the in the uh, college football playoff. We we had a good laugh at their expense on the last episode, but hell, this is their defensive coach. And if they do shock the world, it's going to be because Clark Lee and his staff and his players come up with a game plan that no one else seems to have to slow down Alabama. That's the only shot they've got. I'm not saying that that's a good shot or anything, but, uh, you know, we'll jump to his his comments here in just a second. But I assume that, uh, you know, you never heard from this guy, at least in a presser, because I know I never had till this moment. But just uh, do you have any initial takeaway after listening to, to Coach speak here? Mike, out of all that, 
you know, the thing that really stood out to me, and I think means the most to this fan base, is they finally got a coach that understands Vanderbilt. You know what I'm saying? It, it's it's so many times you get these transplants that come through, and it's just you're it's a Vanderbilt's always been kind of like either a last ditch job or a, it's a stepping stone. It feels like, but now you got a coach that I could see staying there. Yeah, you know, this is a this is a guy that that grew up in that program that that knows expectations and um, and knows what what it's missing. So that's what I like about it. I, I just think it's a I I think it's a good hire, man. I really do. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I had never I I knew who this guy was. I knew about his defenses at Notre Dame and all that, but clearly we don't talk about Notre Dame here. And I've I've literally never heard this guy say a damn word so this was all new to me going through his presser here but um, let's kick it over to him I'll, I'll share my thoughts he talks about the potential of Vanderbilt the, the offense he wants to run you remember uh, the the AD there said it was going to be very important that they get someone with an offensive background or mm-hmm. at least someone that would hire someone that has you know a, a, an exciting offense so he's, he asked about that uh, he went into a little detail here about his history and just walking on and earning a scholarship and the challenges of Vanderbilt and how I thought, I thought it was really great. He talked about, uh, you know, his rise through coaching. This was uh, every move he made. It was because he envisioned being in this seat where he's at now, where he could be the head coach of Vanderbilt and he had opportunities to stay, but he, but he knew that it'd be better for his career to go elsewhere, rise the ranks, and return. So I just thought that was great. And then um, I really liked his comments here on the facilities because that's a huge, huge issue with Vanderbilt. Every coach asks yep. it, and it's it's like a never-ending saga. When are they going to improve the facilities? This is the first time I've ever heard a coach uh, address it quite this way. This is uh, about my belief in the potential of this program. And that potential is driven by the passion and energy of our chancellor and our athletics director. In a world where things are becoming more and more transactional every single day, Vanderbilt University still offers something of substance, something that lasts. And it centers on investment in people and the gift of an education that will permeate a lifetime. And I know this because I'm a product of this. This is my school. I was educated here, I was built here. And I'm so excited to share that with everyone in this community. And I return home with a simple mission, and that's to win, to win at Vanderbilt and to do it the right way. Uh, Clark, uh, congratulations. Uh, Question for you. You mentioned a lot of talk about potential opportunity. What was it that uh, the chancellor and Candace said to help persuade you that now is the time that things can be different at Vanderbilt? You have experience in this town with this program. Why is now the time that things can be different? Well, let me, first of all, thank you for the question. Let me first state this. I've always believed in the potential of this program. I've always believed in it. And I, I, I want to be clear that uh, Vanderbilt is special way beyond one person. It, this, this university, its mission, and what it provides is something that is lasting for a lifetime. But it has to be driven forward by people that are impassioned to find its level of success. And when I met with, with Chancellor and when I met with Candace, I was just struck by not only how energized they were 
to, to find that competitive advantage and, and maximize this moment to move the program forward, but also how like relatable they were, like just how much the, there was such a common ethos, a common vision for how we could get this done together. Um, and, 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 you know, it, the energy and the enthusiasm to do it a way that maybe hadn't been done before. And so those things to me, you know, set it apart as a job that not just was home, but a job that we could maximize and, and deliver to new heights. Uh, yeah, I, th I think one question a lot of people have is the offense. Uh, what, what type of offense do you want to bring? I, I, that obviously I understand the question and I want to, I want to assure everyone that as a defensive coordinator, um, like I've been dying to focus on offense for a while because that is ultimately what stresses me out, you know, every single day. So um, I'm going to attack it from that perspective. I'm going to look at it from a standpoint of, you know, creating something that would challenge me and challenge our structure and challenge our matchups. But, um, you know, there will be time and energy put into finding the right coordinator for an offense. But I can sp speak in terms of what, what I'm looking for and what I want to do. And, and the first thing is, this has to be about getting the ball to our playmakers in space. I want to build an offense around the, the, the prominent players on our team that can score points. And we're going to create matchups. We're going to do things with shifts and motions that allow us to isolate one-on-ones and stretch the field both vertically and horizontally. Um, so there has to be an explosive element to this, and I'm excited to create that. But, but beyond that, I think, and as a defensive coach again, you know, the way you win games in the fourth quarter is from a powerful running game. And so all of this playmaking and, and, and again, vertical stretching has to be complemented with the ability to run the ball. And so that'll also be a part of this too. And again, to me, the, the personality in that coordinator, someone who's creative, someone who can look at what, you know, the players that we recruit and, and maximize their strengths within a system, those will be the primary things that I'm looking for. Hey, Clark, it's good to see you, buddy. Um, I've known you since your days of following your dad around out at uh, Greer Stadium. And uh, I just wonder at what point, I've always known you'd be the Vanderbilt football coach someday. At what point did you really envision this, think that you would come back and be the head coach here? Well, it, you know, in, in, um, in, in the excitement surrounding the announcement, I didn't realize that I was two for five as a, a sophomore. It, I've had plenty of. Um, and so, you know, I've always had an interest. The, when I made the decision uh, to, to come and play here, to walk onto the team, and, and Coach Johnson supported that, you know, I was fulfilling a lot of what was a childhood dream to be a part of this. Um, and then, you know, the, the ability to elevate and to be on scholarship was, was something that was, was um, surreal to me. But, you know, we... we you know, we won six games in three years. And, and I can remember um, in the wintertime, you know, because I was always a guy that was, that was working towards, you know, our goals. I can remember, you know, wanting to get in, and to train in the weight room um, around the Music City Bowl. And um, I couldn't get in the weight room because Boise State was using it. And, and I just, in that moment, I was so upset about where we were and so desperate to get this program where it should be. And that was as a player. And so I think as I, as I kind of transitioned and thought, you know, I want to get into coaching, every decision I've made um, in my career was to hopefully have a chance at this job eventually. Um, you know, from the decision initially to leave, you know, because I had an opportunity to stay as an entry level coach here. 
but I, I, I decided that it was best to spread my wings and, and travel west to UCLA, you know, to accepting my first full-time job at South Dakota State, because as, as comfortable as I was in Los Angeles, I knew at some point I had to go do it. I couldn't just, you know, dream about it. I had to go get in the trenches and work at it. And, you know, obviously my career arc had to align with this opening, and, and the fact that it did just confirmed the things that I knew to be true. Like, this was... This was a place that I was meant to uh, take on, a challenge that I was I was built for, and I'm excited, obviously, about it. But I would tell you, Mike, it, it's it's been from day one for me, and I, you know, I didn't know that I would get the chance. Certainly, get the chance this early, but but um, you know, by God, I'm not going to screw it up. I can I can assure you that. Hey, Clark, uh, welcome back to Nashville. Um, I know facilities are something you, you kind of went around the edge of earlier, but how much have you been maybe sold a vision on being able to be an architect or some things that you need and to have a voice in that? Uh, what, what can you tell us about? Will you have a role in deciding not done? Well, listen, you know, obviously anything that, you know, we, we act on together, I, I'm sure that I'll have the voice that I should have as the head football coach. But to me, that, again, that is not what's important. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like I'm de deflecting the question because I understand the question. I think it's great. And I think there's so much to be energized about ar around the facility, but the, the structures simply don't matter. It just doesn't matter. Like the focus has to be on the players. And obviously, you know, sustaining success and reaching our potential you know, being in new buildings and that commitment that's shown will be important in, in, in pushing this program forward. But my primary focus here, knowing that those things will happen, is not about, you know, being the architect or helping, you know, decide what color the seats are or anything like that. I mean, that's just not what's important to me. What's important to me is that when you watch a game, you're watching a team that you can get behind, that you can rally behind, that you can believe in. And uh, again, a team that's competitive and a team that is tough and a team that's reflective of this university because um, we all deserve that. We all want that. And, and I can tell you right now as an alum, just like Candace and as a former athlete here, this is very personal to me. And so um, I'm way more interested in what we can get done with respect to the people and the heartbeats in that locker room. The facilities, when they come, they'll come. We'll all celebrate them. It'll be great. But before the buildings, I'm interested in, you know, what this team's going to look like and how we're going to build that competitive mindset day in, day out. Hi, Coach. Um, so this roster has been depleted by opt-outs and transfers, especially in the past month or so. How do you rebuild that, not only with the players who are staying, but with adding more players to try to get to that 85 scholarship limit? Well, you know, I think again, this, this I said I said um, in my introductory remarks, this is going to be a, a program that's built on relationships. And so, how, how do we start to rehabilitate and, re, and and rebuild? It's it's in you know spending time together, getting to know each other, and investing in each other. I mean, look, there's going to have to be a baseline of. I mean, this has to be new. This has to be different, just by nature of what we want to accomplish. It has to be different day in and day out. And so um, th there's going to have to be a, an, an element of trust that's, that's kind of defaulted to as we get this going. 
but that trust is going to give way to, to really deeply embedded friendships and relationships um, because humans are still emotional beings. We're still looking to be inspired forward, every single one of us. And players are no different. You know, and so, it, again, if they go into a place where they know that they're getting better, they're getting coached at a high level, um, they're, they're able to keep their dignity day in, day out, they're taught you know, by teachers that could be in other classrooms, um, you know, that, that's motivating to, to a player. And I think we'll feed off each other's energy that way. And, and I think those will be the initial phases of seeing this place start tipping towards, um, you know, that, that future that we're speaking about. And, and, and again, on that note too, you know, this has nothing to do with what's come before. I mean, I, I, I don't have any interest in spending time on what has been. The only thing I'm interested in is what is to be. And for me, it's the creation of a program with everyone involved and everyone invested that rises to heights that right now we may not even know are capable. And we can do that. Um, but it's going to start with that baseline trust. It's going to start with uh, the relationships we're going to build, the commitment, you know, no matter our circumstances. We're not going to be victimized by anything here. This is going to be how we move forward and take the next step every single day. Um, and then with respect to the, the roster numbers and, and the likes, you know, I think those, those are best left for another day. I think this, this is, you know, we can get more detailed into that down the road. But right now, this is going to be about just, just building that heartbeat and building those habits into the program that allow us the foundation to reach for what we really want. All right, so there you have it from Clark Lee. And if you're a Vanderbilt fan, listen to that. I don't know how you don't get fired up. And again, I know I don't remember a coach that lost the uh, opening press conference. So uh, the <laughs> the next time that does happen, that'll be newsworthy just for that. Uh, but you know, this is kind of what you want to hear. You want to hear this is a guy that uh, this is a position that he wants. This is not a position where you know he's a James Franklin where he's he's taking it. If he has success, he's leaving. I mean, that's right. basically the the history not only of Vanderbilt but of of these teams that are in a position like Vanderbilt, where you know you're just looking for someone to breathe some life into it. And if you hire someone with the uh, you know that's young and up and coming, you just the fear is if he does well, well hell, he's just going to look for his next job. And that's not to say that that won't happen to Clark Lee, but. It seems like it's going to be a, a lot tougher pull for anyone to get him out of there, concerning he's from Nashville, he played at Vanderbilt, walked on, earned his way onto the team. And, you know, I like I said, I particularly liked his comments here about the facility not meaning anything to him. It's it's all about the team and, and trying to get that right because damn building's not going to win you a game. And everybody across the SEC has got good facilities aside from Vanderbilt. And last time I looked, Shane, there's a lot of teams that can't win a damn game when it matters in the SEC. So it's not the building that's going to get it done. It's the it's the people inside of it. And uh, I think Clark Lee is – I think things are about to get better at Vanderbilt. Maybe not immediately, but, hell, we got a quarterback. If we, if we got a competent head coach here, it may not be that long before Vanderbilt is out here winning some games again in the SEC. No, I like that. I mean, he said the right things, but I'll tell you what. The buildings, you know, they're nice. It's a little more enticing for those kids to come there, though. You know what I'm saying? It's just, right. you got to remember, these are 17, 18-year-old kids, and uh, they like the lights. They like the show. So that there's no reason that Vanderbilt shouldn't be able to compete with the facilities. And I hope that is 
that is being arranged for this guy. Well, Shane, when you bring a recruit to Vanderbilt, all you got to do is, uh, <laughs> you know, just a mile down the road, there's Broadway. So <laughs> that's all the buildings you need. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Oh, yeah. All right, buddy. Hey, so that's all I got on this one. I appreciate you suffering through this one with the hangover and everything. And uh, glad to hear you didn't drink six beers on this one. But, uh, hey, uh, anything else you got before we before we get out of here? Well, sucks. Uh, Tennessee season's officially over. Oh, but, hey, uh, sorry, Shane. Breaking news. Just yeah. get your thoughts real quick. Bo Pelini fired at LSU. I mean, this is the move they had to make, don't you think? I'm hell. I'm surprised he wasn't the first coach fired. To be honest with you, man. So no, this is this is this is something we were all expecting. Um, you know, you just can't give up 50 points a game. You know, what I'm saying it just you're, you're going to lose your job that way. And and Bo Pelini's defense has cost LSU a lot of games this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hey, we'll have more on that on the next episode. I'm sure Coach will talk about it, but. Uh, that was a that was a wild experiment, and at least you know didn't work. It's on Coach O for hiring the guy, but at you know at least he didn't uh, you know make this go in a year two. When you when you got an issue, you move on from it, and uh, maybe that'll that'll be the catalyst for hell. I, on the last episode, if you listen to the end, talking up LSU and their future, I think it just got a lot brighter with uh, making this change. You know what? <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of LSU coaches, uh, I, I saw uh, the GM there at Carolina got fired too. So, kind of interested to see what happens with uh, with their offensive coordinator up there, Mister Brady. Mm. His name's been floating around a little bit, so we'll see. Yeah, that'll definitely, man. This rumor mill is uh, just when we thought it didn't, <laughs> it wasn't going to get too crazy. It's it's as crazy as ever. You know what? That's right. I got to go set my bottles up on my door again. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. So, uh, th- no, man, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate you getting all this stuff together. And, uh, uh, I appreciate all the fans hanging out with us, man. We're at the tail end of this thing, but doesn't mean, I mean, the fireworks are just getting kicking. I mean, look, we got coaches getting fired mid pause. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Shane. Well, thanks for joining me as always. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. The Vanderbilt faces. So, so he played at Vanderbilt, right? Yes, sir. He walked okay. on and earned just, a scholarship. Let me just do that part, and then I'll let you do the rest of the talking there. <clears throat> hey, but... <clears throat> <clears throat> Who's this, Mike Leach in. on the other line? Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you about the spread, Mike. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs>
I, I did want to ask you, uh, do we got much after this? Because I got that chicken I need. No, to sir. This is this is it right here. <clears throat> okay. Um, 